I want to talk to you about revival restoration. Everybody say that. Revival restoration. God's heart is to revive us. And when He revives us, He restores us. And I want to look at what God, God's Word says about that today. And uh, Josh, I'm, I'm going to start off with some scriptures beginning in the first chapter of Joel. So you can try to follow along before I actually get to my notes. I want to set the background. I want us to see what was taking place in Israel in, among God's people in the book of Joel. Let's look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your father? He, he's saying what is happening in Israel is unprecedented. And it was unprecedented in several ways, but one of the ways we note is that God had lifted His hand of protection and judgment was going to come upon God's people. Today, when I look around the United States, I see things that are just hard for me to fathom. When I see the, the, the sin and the corruption in our government, all the different things that are taking place in our nation. In fact, I saw a cap online the other day that I thought, I'd really like to have that cap. It said, I wish... Or it said something like, what happened to the nation that I knew when I grew up? And I wish we were still that nation. Not that we were perfect back then, but we've continued to move away from God. We've continued to move against God, to remove Him from our schools, to remove Him from our government, to do everything in our culture against God, and now we're even persecuting Christians in our nation. There are reports every week, I hear, of people losing their jobs because of their Christian faith. And so these things are unprecedented. And that's what Joel's talking about. Has anything like this ever happened in our days? The, the answer is no. Look at verse 4. Then he talks about the judgment, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten, what the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten, and what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. He's talking about the judgment of God that's coming, and it's coming in waves, one after another. And that's how the enemy works. He tries to come, not just attack us once, but wave after wave after wave, doesn't he? And so then he, he uh, cries out. He says, awake you drunkards and weep. So he's calling out to those that are in the lowest state in, in the nation. And then in verse 12, he says, the vine has dried up and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. So a drought comes after the desolation of the locusts. A drought comes. And then notice at the end of that verse it says, Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. The enemy wants to steal the joy that you have as being one of God's people. But let me tell you, church, when you're 
in love with Jesus, when you have your heart and your focus, He's number one in your life, the enemy can't come and destroy the joy you have. You have joy unspeakable, the Bible says, and full of glory. Amen? It doesn't mean that we won't have trials and tribulation, but it does mean in the midst of trials and tribulations, even attacks from the enemy, church, guess what? You have this deep, abiding joy knowing that everything's going to be all right. Because God's in control. But the enemy is trying to steal the joy that we have. In verse 13, Joel calls for the spiritual leaders. Look what he calls. He says, gird yourselves and lament, you priest. Wail, you minister before the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. So he, he's first calling out to those that have a relationship and those who are in leadership in the body. Isn't that powerful? God calls the leadership to respond, the pastors to respond. In verse 14, he calls everyone. He says, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God. Do you see that? All the inhabitants of the land. He's calling everybody and cry out to the Lord. God's calling us. If we want our nation to change, everyone needs to cry out to the Lord. Verse 15, Alas, for the day for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Now, when you, when you, in the Old Testament, when you see the, the phrase, the day of the Lord, usually it's speaking of something imminent. It's talking about immediate judgment or judgments that's going to come upon the, the people, warning them that judgment is coming. But it also has an ultimate fulfillment in that one day Jesus Christ is going to return for His own. There is going to be an ultimate judgment of God and every one of us will stand before Him. Either at the great white throne or, or the, the judgment seat of Christ. The Christians, those that have made a, a, a commitment to Jesus, we don't have to worry about it because we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. We know that our sins are forgiven. We know that God loves us and we're going to be rewarded. But if you don't know Jesus, you're going to stand at the great throne of God one day before Him and have to give an account for your life. And it's a scary thought. In this passage, let's go on. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. We, this used to be a chorus in the church years ago. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. It's talking about a shofar. It's what it's talking about. They would blow the shofar, calling people together or warning of, of imminent danger. It says, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for, here's that phrase against, the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. So it's warning the people, you need to get back to God. You need to come back to God's house. You need to get right with Him because judgment's going to come. 
And behind, then in verse 3, it says, And behind them, at the lower part of the verse, And behind them a desolate wilderness, surely nothing shall escape them. So it's going to be utter devastation in the nation. But what I want you to see is the the call to repentance. Look at verse 12 in chapter 2. Now if a nation has prolonged unrighteousness attitudes towards God, against God, God becomes our enemy. But look here at verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. It was their custom in those times when they would relent and when they would be sorry for sinning against God, that they would rip their garments as a sign. But God's saying, I don't want just an outward sign. I desire your heart to be rent. Your heart. It's a heart issue, church. Amen? It's not just an outward appearance issue. It's a heart issue. God wants our hearts to be rent before Him, to be repentant, to be desiring of Him, to desire God to move in power, to restore us. Listen to what else He says. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And He relents from doing harm. Then he goes on in verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babies. So he's calling everyone. Let the priest who minister, verse 17, to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. And then look at Uh, Down in verse 19, the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea. And the verse I want to focus on, this is the verse I want you to look at verse 25 in chapter 2. This is the main text. This is God still promising. Listen to this promise. So I will restore to you the years. Everybody say that with me. I will restore to you the years. That is a tremendous promise of God. And here he goes on and he talks about the swarming locusts what the swarming, swarming locust has eaten, what the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you. Now some of us struggle with that. Why would God do that? And it's because, church, He loves us. Because if a nation is running away from God, if they're pushing God away and they're continuing to go towards darker and darker things, more evil things, the nation will be utterly destroyed and lost. And God loves the nation enough that there comes a time that He will 
allow them to experience judgment because in judgment, God always wants to draw them back to Him. Amen? Judgment isn't a dirty word. It's a, love, it's a word of love where God's saying, I, if you really want to know what, what's going to happen, if you push me away, He lifts His hand and He allows us to experience the attacks of the enemy so that we'll come back to Him, so that we'll experience His love and His grace and His mercy. Amen? I love that. I will restore to you the years. I want us to think about that. Now most of us, when we come to God and we ask Him to forgive us and cleanse us, we know that we're forgiven. Amen? Because we've read it in the Word. Right? In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And listen to this. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Everybody say, all sin. We are cleansed from every bit of sin according to Scripture. We are forgiven. Amen? And we're thankful for that. And then Romans 8, chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is not of God. It's the enemy. The enemy wants to condemn you for your past, for your failures. He wants you to think about them and get caught up in them and think that God can't use you. And that's a lie from the enemy. Now the Holy Spirit lovingly comes and He convicts us. He comes tenderly and lovingly and says, you need to remove this from your life because you're going in the wrong direction. Amen? The Apostle Paul, in the final days of his life, he makes a powerful statement. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, this is what Paul says. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, I want you to think about that. How many have ever read that and said, well, I can't really say that? I, I look at that verse and, I, I, and Paul says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And we think, well, there's been times in my life when I wasn't living for Jesus. Even times after I committed my life to him and asked for his forgiveness, there's been times in my life when I, when I wasn't living close to him. And so I really can't say that. So I don't think I'm going to receive that crown. I think most of us have had those times because we're human, because we're attacked by fear and doubt and unbelief. But I want you to think about this, church. It doesn't matter if you live for Jesus for 90 years, 90 days. Or 90 minutes. God's word makes us a promise 
He's going to restore the years. Many, many years ago, I had a, a gentleman that was in his mid-70s and he had lost his wife. And he was just shattered and broken. And he came to church and I prayed with him and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And there's a great transformation in his life. But one Sunday he came to the altar and he was just weeping before the Lord. And I came and I put my arm around him and I asked him, what, what was the problem? What, what, how could I pray with him? And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I know I'm forgiven. But when I think about all the 75 years that I lived without Jesus, and I didn't serve Him, and I made mistakes, and I lived a life of sin, he says, I just feel like a failure. I, I feel like that I wasted my life. In church, I looked at him and I put my arm around him, and I say, the God that has transformed your life is a God of restoration. I said, He is a God that restores the years. That's what His Word says. He's a God that restores the years. So you don't have to live a life of shame and regret and heartache. It doesn't matter if you just came to Jesus and you're 90 years old. Guess what? God's Word says, I will restore every one of those 90 years. Because my blood is going to cleanse you. My spirit's going to empower you. I'm going to see that my plan and my purpose for your life is going to be ultimately fulfilled. God's a God of restoration. Turn to somebody and tell them that today. God's a God of restoration. I want us to look at Lamentations chapter 3. There's an important verse for us to see. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Church, God has an overshadowing mercy or protection for the entire world, for every person, even those that don't accept Jesus. Listen to this. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. If the devil had his way, church, none of us would be alive. He would consume us. He would destroy us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's Satan's plan for your life. He wants to kill you if he can. And if he can't do that, he wants to steal from you. And he wants to destroy your life. But God. God says, my mercies are new for you every day. Every day I have new mercies poured out in your life. You are here. You are breathing. Your heart, is go, your, your heart is beating. You're going forward and able to live because of my mercy every day. Because the enemy wants to take you out. But God says, I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. 
Back in Joel, they were experiencing one attack after another. It talks about the chewing locusts and the swarming locusts and the, and the, the crawling locusts and the consuming locusts just over and over and over again. How many have ever felt like there were never-ending waves of attacks coming against you? It's because the enemy sees God's purpose in your life. He sees what God wants to do through you. And it scares him to death. And so he's going to throw everything he can to try to hinder you. In Joel chapter 1 verse 12, it says, The vine had dried up, the figs, so that, oh, that was that drought. After the locust, there was a drought, another, another devastating thing. Then in verse 25 of, of Joel chapter 2 is our promise. God says, so I will restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I want us to look at a couple other things. Joel chapter 19. The Lord will answer and say to His people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. So now God's telling them how He's going to restore them. Because the locusts came, they devoured everything, then there was a drought. Now actually it talks about a fire. And that was common after the locusts would come through, that there would be a fire that would come and burn the stubble. And then there would be a, a drought. And these He's talking about those things, but then God is saying, but I'm greater. He's saying, if I tell you I'm going to restore the years, you can hold on to that promise and know I'm going to restore the years. In verse 26, he says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Think about that. The enemy wants to put shame on you because of your past. And Jesus, God's Word just said, guess what? You'll never be put to shame. If you're living in shame, it's not of God. Because God's greater than that shame. Amen? Verse 27, then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Church, God restores even the calendar. You may be here today and you may have lived a life where you drifted away and you were caught up in drugs or alcohol or immorality. Or maybe you tried to be a good person, but you came to the point that you realized one day that even though you tried to live a good life, it doesn't meet God's standards. And that you needed that sacrifice of Jesus for your sins because you weren't perfect. And you think about all the years and all the things in your past and God says, my people are not going to live in shame. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them that today. Tell them, I'm not going to live in shame. I want to give you a, a couple more verses. There was a time in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, God said, every seventh year is going to be a Sabbath year. 
And on the Sabbath year, you're not going to plant your crops. You're not going to cultivate them. You're going to let the land remain uncultivated. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 20, he's talking about that. And so the people ask God, well, how are we going to eat if we don't plant crops? And in verse 20, he answers, And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce, then, listen to what God says, I will command my blessing on you. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. Amen? So God is a God who commands his blessing upon you. He commands his blessing upon you. You don't have to worry about the wasted years. God says, I'm going to make your years now fruitful because you are one of my children. It doesn't matter how many years you were in bondage to drugs or alcohol or pornography or, or, or anything else. It doesn't matter what's had a hold on your life. It doesn't matter how far you were away from God. God says, I'm going to restore the years. Amen? I'm going to restore the years. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us, not to think about the things that are in the past. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, Paul wasn't perfect, Paul murdered Christians. And then he had a Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. And he recognized that Jesus was Lord. But he says, I'm forgetting my past. And I'm pressing towards the goal. Towards the high calling of Christ. Church, don't let the things of your past affect your future or your present. Keep pushing towards God. And trust that he is storing up the things that he wanted to do in your life for now, the time when you've said yes to him. I love that. And I want to end with this thought. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about giving place to the devil. And he's actually addressing the church there. It's not non-believers. And the, the word place there in the original language means a place to occupy. And it's talking about our soul, our mind, will, and emotions where the enemy attacks and where if we don't repent of that sin, that the enemy can take a hold in our life. And I want to ask you today, I'm going to go through a list of things and I want you to be honest with yourself. Are there any of these things still holding on? Is there residue of these things in your life that God needs to restore today? Because that's God's heart. Are there things holding you back? Things like condemnation. Things like anger or fear. Worthlessness. You don't feel like you're good enough that God can use you. 
Things like bitterness or unforgiveness. Things like worry or suicidal thoughts. Shame, pride, abandonment, rejection, anxiety, or depression. Or do you have addictions? It can be food. It can be gambling. Materialism. I just have to buy one more thing to make me happy. God isn't against you having nice things, but He is against those nice things having you. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol or prescription medication. Maybe it's pornography, lust, or sexual addictions. Do you need freedom from past hurts? Things like physical abuse or verbal abuse or sexual abuse. Things like adultery. Things like homosexualism or lesbianism. Church, God restores. Maybe you've been involved in other religions. Things like Jehovah Witness or Christian Science or Unitarianism, Mormonism, Scientology, New Age, crystals, astrology, tarot cards, fortune telling, palm reading, Hinduism, Buddhism, Baha'ism, Satanism, all the various different religions. Jesus wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants to deliver you. And when the Son heals you, you're healed. When the Son sets you free, you're free. And I want to end with this verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's interesting that the Hebrew and the Greek word for salvation both carry the same ideas. The idea of safety, the idea of deliverance, the idea of preservation, the idea of healing, the idea of soundness, the idea of prospering, and the idea of happiness. That's what God wants to restore in our lives when we come to Him. Our God is a God of restoration. I want you to stand with me. And I want the worship team to come. In these revivals that are taking place, we're hearing great testimonies about God restoring people's lives. Powerfully. He's restoring people's lives. In church, my prayer this week when I was in the auditorium just weeping before the Lord is that God would restore every area of our lives. That we wouldn't be ashamed of our past. You know, Jesus 
tells a story in Luke about the rich man that, that died and about Lazarus. Lazarus was a beggar. But the rich man didn't know God. And he opens his eyes and he's in hell. Lazarus was carried into Abraham's bosom. Into paradise. And I don't have a long time to talk about that, but the point I want to make is, church, it appears from Scripture that those that do not commit their heart to Jesus will spend eternity separated from God in a place that He didn't create for them, but He created for the devil and his angels. But what we see in that story is that the rich man still remembered. He remembered and he wanted Lazarus, God to send Lazarus back so that he could warn his brothers so that they wouldn't come there too. And the point I'm trying to make is that from Scripture it appears that those that don't accept Jesus will spend eternity remembering every opportunity they had to say yes to Him. They'll see how God had His hand upon their life, how God was pushing them and drawing them, wanting them to come to Him. And they'll see, remember every time that they pushed Him away. But for Christians, we're not going to remember the past failures and the past garbage. Oh, come on. Somebody get happy about that. Amen. Amen. We're pushing towards the goal of the high calling in God in Christ Jesus. He's going to restore the years. And whether we have one more year to live or whether we have 90 years to live, God's going to intervene. He's going to use us. He, the blessings He has for us are going to be coming in, being poured on our lives. And God is a God of restoration. He is greater than our failures, church. He's greater than, than us being procrastinators and coming to Jesus. And so today, if there's any of those things, anything that you want God to restore, I just want you to come forward and cross the, across the front area here. We call this the altar. If you want to come and you want God to restore something in your life, or if you've never committed your heart to Jesus, today's the day to be restored. Today's the day that you can say yes to Jesus. And if you have a special prayer you want to pray about intercession, our prayer warriors are going to be around the back walls, and they're going to be ready to pray for you. If you have something specifically you want them to agree with you in prayer, Find one of them. They'll, they're around the back wall and they'll come and agree with you in prayer. But as the worship team begins to lead us, I want you to be honest with God today. And say, God, is there anything in my life that you need to restore? And if there's anything that you want Him to restore that He brings to your mind, I want you to come and we're going to pray together for God to restore those things today. Will you come? Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.